This show is broadcasting live from Detroit Sound Studios above Activate Gaming and is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. What's up, Fillmore? We are the Infatuations from your hometown, Detroit, Michigan. This song here is called Tonight We Celebrate. How you guys doing tonight? You guys stay in the party with us, right? So we're going to start the night off right with this song right here. Tonight we celebrate. Put you in the mood for Halloween spirit. Who's here? You see, here come the mummies as well. Yeah, those guys are sweet. So I'm going to sing a little song for you. And it goes a little something like this. And welcome to episode three of Liz in Detroit. Liz, I just got to say, we got to start this way. I just love that song. I love the infatuations. I do, too, and I'm so glad to have it a part of the show. You know, it's really exciting. Um, I know we shouldn't be prepping um, or even promoing next week's show uh, before we're doing this one, but we're going to have Christian on from the infatuations. So that's something new to tune in with. Uh, One of the things I want people to remember is you can find us on Facebook at LizInDetroit.com. You can find us on Facebook at Liz in Detroit. That's Liz in Detroit, L-I-Z-I-N-D-E-T-R-O-I-T. And the website is always www.LizInDetroit. And with that, I want to turn it over to the lady that just came off her fabulous vacation. Welcome back, Liz Tentinelli. Thank you, Newman. I feel well-rested. And a little tan, although with the snow that just came, I feel like most of it's like been brushed away. But either way, it's nice to be back. I feel well rested and great to get back on board with um, this week's podcast. Um, very pleased to welcome to the show today, Paul Bashori. And if any of you are big followers of Curb Detroit, he was the original former editor of Curb Detroit. And um, so happy to have him here today because he's got a pretty interesting background, and it's great because of my involvement with real estate to really get another person's perspective on where they see things going in the city of Detroit, um, where they are now, where they're going, and all the great things that are happening in the city. So without further ado, I'd like to hand things over to Paul. Yay, Paul. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. For those of us listening today, please give us a little background about, you know, what made you become a part of Curb Detroit and, you know, how things have changed for you since being a part of that group. Uh, Well, I grew up in Birmingham in a family that was 
kind of obsessed with renovation and real estate. That was sort of all we did. Um, the flipping houses was more or less the family business. And so that was, that was like our everyday was, um, renovation, you know, while other kids, I think played video games and stuff (laughs) on the weekends. I was, uh, like helping my mom demo a kitchen or something like that. Nice. Uh, so yeah, that, that sort of instilled this, uh, I don't know, appreciation and, and love for real estate and houses and um, especially old houses because you figured out pretty quickly that demoing, you know, a wall built in 1960 was very different than demoing a wall built in 1920 because those walls would fight back. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I eventually went off to college and had no interest in continuing that. <laughs> and uh, I guess while I was in school, um, I had a couple of friends moved down down to downtown Detroit and uh, I came down to visit them a couple times and really that was the first time that I just was on my own exploring the city and uh, you know more or less fell in love with it um, just the the old houses like the ones that I you know knew when I was little and and uh, how everything's or a lot of it was so overgrown and unexplored it seemed like uh, for a long time and this was back in you know 2009 or so back in the old days yeah <laughs> Way back in the old days. How did you prepare yourself, though, to become like editor of, of Curbed Detroit then? How did you prepare yourself for, you know, once you got that job of what was ahead of you now in that position? Like, how did you approach it? Um, all you could really do was just sort of sort of dive in and go at it. And um, back when I first started at Curbed Detroit, uh, there wasn't really anyone that was kind of exclusively covering the Detroit real estate scene. That was... You know, largely every time, every so often the free press would do something or cranes would do something, but it felt like it was just me for a long time. And uh, so I just started, I don't hassling real estate agents and developers and, and uh, going to city council meetings, historic district commission meetings and, and getting my intel that way. And uh, it was just like a fun little thing for a little while. And then Detroit eventually declared bankruptcy and like the whole website sort of uh, blew up in popularity because everyone, you know, turned to see what was going on in the city. And uh, that's when things really started to get to get crazy and for real um, in terms of our viewership and all of that. I know when when Curbed came on the scene and and made, I think, one of the, the bigger impacts of really putting real estate in the forefront of everyone, you know, especially in the city of Detroit. And to me, thinking that, I mean, well, knowing I'm a person that's in the know of different development projects in the city, I find that I was using it as a great resource to only learn more about other areas within the city that I didn't know about and getting to know them more based on some of the coverage of the articles that were being um, done on those specific areas. What, yeah, what part did you play in kind of organizing or, you know, kind of making it an all-inclusive coverage of all good things Detroit? Like, what mm-hmm. you know, how did yeah. you? Um, well, Curbed as a network has, uh, has 15 branches. It's in um, 15 different cities. And most of them cover, um, you know, if you're in a city, the real estate values are, are typically pretty high. And so most of them cover high-end stuff and, and really nice apartments and all of that. And with Detroit, we were faced with like sort of a different situation where, um, you know, these these high end lofts just weren't there. And I just felt like there was such a a knowledge gap about these various neighborhoods and what they were doing and and their history. Um, I love about I love that so much of Detroit's history is still here and so present. And uh, 
so you know, I, I basically would look at a map and decide to go to go explore an area or ask people or figure out what was going on. And a large part of that was um, getting our photographers to go out to these neighborhoods and take pictures of things that people hadn't seen in a long time of these houses and these sidewalks and these trees. And uh, yeah, it was you know it was just a lot of my personal interest trying to figure out what was going on and what places and, and telling the stories of these places that people hadn't thought about in a long time. From the areas that you covered, did you have any particular story um, that you that sticks out in your mind that made a real big impact that you're like, this is why I do this? <laughs> uh, it actually ended up being this building that's really close to the the apartment I live in now. Um, the oh, what's it called? The um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the guy who who made the fountain on Belle Isle. The um, the Scott, okay. the Scott Fountain. Okay. Yeah, um, I was going to say energy, <laughs> but that was like not that. Okay. Yeah, Scott. Scott was this this uh, real estate developer way back in the day. Um, he was a drunk. He was very crude, and everyone hated him um, historically. And he was also very rich. And uh, he ended up dying and didn't have anyone to give his money to, and so he had it donated to the city to build that big, beautiful fountain on Belle Isle. And uh, the city debated for a long time whether or not to build it because they, you know, no one liked this guy um, because part of his will said that if they were going to build the fountain, they had to build a statue of him as well. And so they ended up finally building it, um, but including the statue kind of behind it so the water could mist on it and like obscure it from people's view. But this guy uh, also at one point when he was alive wanted to build his mansion um, in the Cass Corridor area. And so he bought up a few lots and um, was unable to get the lot behind it to get that landowner to sell him the lot. And he got so mad that he built uh, the facade of his mansion, like a full-sized facade of a mansion, but it was only like three or four feet deep just to like obscure that guy's lot from view <laughs> and, and make it valueless to, to spite him for not selling him the lot. And so uh, that place still exists today. Eventually the city took it and added a big block on the back of it to make it apartments but you can see right where the original facade ends like three feet deep it's a really <laughs> what building is that on Cass? it's a uh, it's on park, oh, park and um peter yeah park in peterborough um right off the of cast there okay now i have to go take a picture of it yeah yeah or great. look closely let's say <laughs> at it paul let me um let me ask you this about curbed how do you guys decide which properties you want to feature? Are there certain agents that you're always going to, or how do you scour to decide we really want to feature this property? Um, I guess yeah, we had a, a network of, of agents and developers that would you know let us or give us a heads up if they saw something interesting. Um, really, it was by digging through a lot of listings or finding what I thought thought to be the most interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's how I ended up meeting Liz, uh, was just needing information on, on listings in Brush, Brush Park and hearing that Liz was a good source of, of info for that. And how many writers do you have for Curbed? Or uh, did they have when you were there? Yeah, it was it was just me. Um, it was just me doing, doing all of it. I think we had a couple of freelancers and interns at various points, but I would say 98% of the articles during the three years I was there, that was just me writing and... And uh, figuring out what we were going to write about, and everything except for the photography, for the most part, was me. That's huge. Yeah. That's really yeah, an incredible background. So from <laughs> all of that, gathering all of that information, it's like 
you know, you're, you're working on the history, you're working on the previous, you know, past communities where things have evolved to now, like what, mm-hmm. if, if you can, you know, I guess put it in maybe like five points, let's put it in five, like what are you, what are your most favorite things that you love about Detroit and why you're still here now? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, favorite things about Detroit. Um, I really love, I love that the city, I mean, first off, we're in, we're here in the city at a time when it's just transforming entirely. Uh, everything about it is changing really rapidly. Just going back only a few years, things look so different. I mean, even from when I first started coming down here, um, things are, are so different. And I love being able to be in a place that's that, that alive and that moving. Um, I also love that it's a very old city. I love that a lot of those old things are still here that have been lost a long time ago in other places. Uh, everything just from like, you know, I used to collect paver bricks, like the old, old paver bricks that used to line the streets. A lot of them are still paver bricks under the asphalt. Uh, stuff like that, that I can kind of walk around these old places and find old stuff that's just still there and undisturbed. Um, I also love that it's it's sort of like a, it's, it's a real city in the way that cities used to be, um, I guess, a long time ago. Like, things are made here. Things get done here. Like, the city's here for a reason to do something. It's not just, like, uh, you know, an urban environment or something that, that a bunch of, of, like, wealthy finance people are just living in because they like the idea of it. It's like a real city that does real stuff. And, you know, if you live here, you're going to know that and you're going to feel that. And I, th- I think that's very unique to this place and something that I like a lot. Um. I don't I I also really love I love that there's so much potential there's so much um there's so much space to do things. We talk about Detroit in a way that's that's like you know, like an unlimited amount of possibility to to fill these vacant spaces or rehab these old buildings or or make things better. And uh because of that, I think everyone sort of has the opportunity to participate in making a difference here. And so, you know, there's nowhere else I'd want to live. I hear you. And it's funny because everything that you've said kind of brings full circle on, you know, as I now sell real estate, how I work to navigate around all the uniqueness of it. And, you know, I I, I like to say that I'm I'm the, the agent that people go to to seek out those great areas that maybe people don't know about yet or, you know, that has a strong community base but isn't considered those areas that um, where prices have gone really high. It's got yeah. strength in community and support, but yet might be on those price points that are still affordable for a lot of people that are looking to be in the city and might be priced out now in a lot of the center cores. We're seeing those prices go up. And uh, and that, to me, is great because it's making it's forcing me to keep on learning about the city that I myself have grown up in. And so it's like navigating, you know, various new areas and learning more about them than I would have, you know, learned about them before. So it's like people are using my knowledge, but I'm actually learning more still by all the exploring and the research I'm doing for them. And to me, that's a big part of why I do what I do is that I don't mm-hmm. want to stop – you know, I don't want to stop learning about the city that I live in. I can't expect to know everything. Um, and it's I love that about the city is that I, I keep on learning more about it mm-hmm. in the areas. So now that you've left Curbed, Liz, yep. what do you think Paul should do now? He should come and work with me, <laughs> which I'm happy to say that um, 
this year's a really big year for me to expand on my team, and I'm happy to say that Paul, clapping everyone, yay, is now part of my Liz in Detroit team. So you'll be hearing and seeing more of him very much so in the near future. Paul, you uh, recently came over to Liz in Detroit. You've come over under the Real Estate One guideline, but we know that everything is branded mm-hmm. as Liz in Detroit, Elizabeth Tintinelli. Mm-hmm. You're going to primarily focus as a buyer's agent. What is your main excitement right now? What really fires you up about becoming a real estate agent as opposed to just covering real estate? Um, when I was covering real estate, it felt like I was I was learning everything, you know, for an end game to like get to a point um, where I could really share like my knowledge and my love for these neighborhoods and these houses uh with people for a purpose you know like curbed was was entertaining people and and explaining things to people but i'm really excited uh to sort of share all that knowledge and those passions with people um kind of show them these neighborhoods show them these houses uh show them what i see in them and and help them you know find find the place they want to be um yeah I'm, i'm really excited about it well, so am I. We, yeah, we're extremely excited to have you on board. Those of you that have questions for Paul, you can reach Paul at Paul, P-A-U-L, at LizInDetroit.com. I'd like to thank you for coming in today, Paul. Um, look forward to working with you in the future. Yeah. You know, there's going to be many more shows with Paul as either a co-host or a contributor as we go forward. So once again, you'll see more from Paul also on Facebook and our social media because he is much more prolific at that than I am. Uh, you know, you don't hire your weakness. I mean, your strengths. I hire my weaknesses, and Paul is going to be just a phenomenal asset with that. With that, Liz, it's crazy in Detroit right now. Yes. It's what, insane. You know, the biggest question I get from people that just do not believe, they don't believe in the city, and they don't believe the prices, and then you hear the word bubble. My question for you is this, right? What is sustaining the consistent growth of real estate in Detroit right now? I think what's sustaining it is we still have we still have resources or I should an abundance of people who are still wanting to be down in Detroit. And I think we have not reached our ability to tap into those numbers of people yet because a lot of what they are looking for we haven't even built yet. Um, I had a meeting with a client um, a couple days ago, and she's a transplant from um, D.C., and she showed me pictures of the the building that she has still in D.C., or or I should say she previously had. And it was in a beautiful high-rise building with panoramic views, you know, and I said, you know, we're limited in the city of Detroit of that kind of inventory because when a lot of other cities were building and their populations were growing, ours did not. We kind of remained stagnant. So the inventory of what we have is quite low for a major city. So I think what we do have available, which, again, on this marketplace is very slim. You know, I'll give you an example. A a condo that was listed downtown on the market less than two days, nine offers. And thankfully, my client got the winning offer. But 
you know, nine offers in less than two days and this property was taken off the market. I mean, that goes to show, and that's consistent with a lot of the properties that are coming available within the city of Detroit. So it just shows you that there's a lot of people that are desiring to be down here and there's very little inventory for them to move into. And I think people would very much like to buy um, versus rent. Um, but I know, and we all know, that there's a lot more rental inventory that's also coming on the market soon. I don't know what the exact tally is, but it's probably well over a thousand units when we include properties from the riverfront all the way up through New Center. So it's going to be really exciting to see how that transforms having those bodies walking the streets, you know, visiting, you know, and being patrons to our establishments now and seeing what new establishments they build, you know, to accommodate these individuals that are all desiring to have a part and be a part of all these great things that are happening in the city. What are you recommending for your clients right now that are now looking at buying in the city of Detroit and it just blows them away when they start hearing terms such as highest and best and, you know, you've got to come in close to ask. Um, with Detroit, which always has been looked at kind of as a wild, wild west, now with people moving down, what is the best advice you have for your clients about making offers in the city of Detroit? The truth of the matter is there isn't any kind of formula. I mean, people can explain what's happened to them in other cities or other circumstances, and all you can tell them is this is the situation now. And if, if you know, if this is a property that you are, you know, seriously interested in, then you got to put your best ditch effort in to try to attain that. And, of course, it's all within reason of what you can afford, what you feel it's worth it, but... You know, I'm telling you, I tell people, if you don't want it, somebody else will. And it's just one of those things that, you know, I'm, I've been even surprised in a couple situations where I've had clients been outbid by, you know, other offers. And it's one of those things that, you know, I think there will be more inventory out there, but you can't necessarily approach the situation. Well, if I don't get this, I'll get something else. You know, I, I think you have to go into what you're buying very seriously, you know, have a really strict, uh, you know, punch list of what you're looking for. You might not attain all of it, but as long as you know you're getting what most of what you're needing and wanting, then to me it's worth it because um, that's what's important. What about for sellers? Sellers, you know, again, depending upon the product, I think now's the time. You know, um, there's several street spots for property values that I think we're severely lacking, like property under 200000 You know, if you've got a property, like I, I met with a client today who was fortunate enough to get a hold of a very inexpensive condo in 2011 for $24,000, <laughs> he can make a hundred grand with a snap right now if he, by listing his property. You know, and I think there's certain price points that people are all over. So for a seller, you know... Um, the more education you get on where prices are going in, in, in being very wise with who you choose to represent you, make sure you make that agent provide you with, with good homework on the marketplace so that you place, price things well. Because, you know, some sellers might just want to see what people are willing to spend, so they'll overshoot. But I've seen some overshoots make it. So it's, you know, I, I don't think this is a time to be fearful of, of putting your your wants out there because there's such limited um, inventory that you could get it. And what's your quick thought, 30-second quick thought, on what's going on in Boston, Edison, right now? 
Awesomeness. <laughs> I'm looking at several houses for a client on Friday off of Atkinson that um, have popped up, you know, between twenty and $90,000. There's some great stuff. I should say that's not historic Boston Edison. It's just shy self. But it's just, you know, it's amazing. I remember looking at houses there two years ago where you'd be lucky to see things pricing at 200000 And now you're saying beautiful renovation projects where, you know – Property values are escalating um, up to the $300,000 mark. So there's such a great variety of homes in that neighborhood from smaller homes to larger homes that I think there's um, a lot of inventory that can answer to the needs of a variety of different buyers. Um, And I believe that its strength will further strengthen the city um, because of the housing stock that's there um, and even – South of Boston, Edison, connecting the dots between New Center and there, there's still some great opportunities to get get stuff there inexpensively if you're not afraid to do renovation work. Fantastic. And you know what? It's just flown by today. We're just about done. Um, I want to remind everybody to look for us on Facebook and LizInDetroit.com. You can also find us on Twitter at LizInDetroit. Once again, L-I-Z-I-N-D-E-T-R-O-I-T. Uh, We're going to be back next week, 3.30, with Christian from The Infatuations. Can't wait. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Paul. And, of course, thanks, Jessica. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.